So we're carrying on in our series here of the Ten Commandments. And this week is called, uh, You Shall Not Take the Name of the Lord Your God in Vain. All right? That's the third commandment. What does this mean and how does this relate to us? Let's dive into it a little bit more. Maybe you've heard this quote from William Shakespeare. It's in Romeo and Juliet. The context in which he was giving this quote was actually Juliet saying this about Romeo. So it's different for our context here. But he asked the question, he says, what's in a name? What is in a name? And this is a very profound question. And the answer to this question, I believe, is everything is in a name. When you hear the name Marcus Smith, certain thoughts come to mind. Certain emotions come to mind. Maybe you think I'm a weirdo. It reaches out to you all too much. Stops over at your house too much. Whatever. Certain thoughts and emotions and experiences come to your mind. Shake, Christian's shaking his head because he knows that. But your name and your being are inextricably linked, Okay? Who you are as a person is so directly associated with your name that they are fundamentally inseparable. Your name and your character are one thing. What do people think of you when they hear your name? What emotions come to their mind when they hear your name? Do they think of somebody who loves the Lord and loves them with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? I hope so. What is in your name? And that's the exact same question that William Shakespeare is asking. And this is a question that we have to ask of God and of his name before we know how to hold it in reverence so that we do not take his name in vain. A.W. Tozer says this about God and about his name and about thoughts that come to our mind when we think of him. He says this, What comes into your mind when you think about God or the name of God or God as a person what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God defines who you are as a human being. If you don't think God is that great, what does that say about you? But if you think God is glorious and he is worth serving, and he's worth loving and dying for, what does that say about you? What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most fundamental thing, the truest thing about you. But some of you in this room tonight, maybe nothing comes to your mind when you think about God. Absolutely nothing comes to your mind. He's just another name. His name is just another name, like Marcus or David or whoever. It's just another name. Nothing comes to your mind. Like Jonathan Edwards says, nothing is what rocks think about. <laughs> That's what comes to your mind when you think about God. And I'm so zealous for this youth group to not have nothing come to your mind when you think about God. I want you to think about how glorious God is and how worth serving and living for and dying for he is. That is my goal for this youth group. I do not want you to think about nothing when God comes to your mind. That's why we open the scriptures together so that we can learn about his attributes Learn about who God is and read his love letters that he has written to us so that nothing does not come into our minds when we think about him. Because nothing is what rocks think about. And I don't want us to be rocks in this youth group. Because, beloved, God's name is different than any other name. 
It's not like Marcus. It's not like David. It's not like Araya. It's not like any of our names in this youth group tonight. God's name is different than any other name. And I have a couple quick verses that I'd like to look at with you that show us just how different God's name is. The name of God, G-O-D, or J-E-S-U-S, or the Holy Spirit, the entire being of God. I want to show you just how different God is from us so that we can learn why we should revere his name and uphold it with all of our might. The first verse is this. The first observation is this. God's enemies, y'all, they hate God's name. They purposely step on it and spit on it and kick it around like it's no big deal. Psalm 139.20 says, They speak against you, Lord, with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. One of the most fundamental things that is true about an unbeliever is that they step on God's name and they take it in vain and nothing comes to their mind when they think of God. That's what it means to take God's name in vain. And his enemies do that. We don't want to be like an enemy of God. We want to revere God's name and not be an enemy of him who holds his name with malicious intent and kicks it around like it's a tin can. Because God's enemies hate God's name. They hide from God. When they hear his name, they tremble before God. Oh, I don't like God impeding into my lifestyle, calling me out for my sin, asking me for repentance. I want my own life to myself. That's the mark of an enemy of God who hates God. And if you do not love God, you're his enemy. Second observation is this. God's name divides nations. One name divides nations. Marcus's name doesn't do that. God's name divides people and nations. uh, Micah uh, chapter 4 verse 5 says this. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We talked about what false gods are last week, right? Two weeks ago. They walk in the name of those gods, the name of Baal, the name of Muhammad, the name of Confucius, the name of video games, the name of sports. You put whatever you want there, that's what the other nations are doing. That's what the enemies of God are doing. All the other nations do that, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. That's what we do as Christians. We follow God, we revere his name, we uphold it with all of our might because we love him. We're not like the other nations in that regard. And other nations could be somebody that's sitting right next next to you. We are the people of God, scattered about Odessa, Texas, okay? Bring people into that experience with you. Tell them about the greatness and the grandeur of God's name and bring them onto the team with us so that they're a part of our nation, if you will, okay? That's the second observation. Third observation is this. God's name protects us. The name of our president does not protect us. God's name protects us. Psalm 20 verse 1 says, May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Did you see those two parallels right there? May the Lord answer you and may his name protect you. It's saying the same thing. His name and his being are so intricately linked that you cannot separate them. That's like saying, Marcus' name will protect you. 
and Marcus will be there for you in times of distress. It's the same thing. You cannot separate God's character from his name. What is in a name? Everything is in a name. His name is worth praising in public. Do you do that? Or are you ashamed of the name of Jesus whenever it's brought up at your school or on your sports team? And you're scared to stand up for the name of Jesus Christ. There are brothers and sisters right now in the Middle East who are suffering severe persecution. Why? Because they stand for the name of Jesus. They identify as Christians and they are dying for him by the day because they're standing for his name. Because they're not ashamed to praise him in public, even if it costs them the ultimate price, which is their life. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two says this. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. How confident is the psalmist there? His people, he's talking about Jesus with. Who are your people that you want to talk about Jesus with? They could be sitting next to you tonight. They could be in the car with you when you drive home tonight. Whoever your people are, find them and proclaim God's name in love to them. Be like this psalmist who lives for and dies for the name of God. And finally, maybe most importantly, only God's name saves us. Only God's name does that. Our president's name does not do that. And I think that's where we get confused in our culture today. We put hope in man instead of putting ultimate hope in God. The psalmist says elsewhere, he says, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some put their trust in military hopes or some put their trust, like we said, in government or sports, video games, whatever, but not us. We put our trust in simply knowing God and loving him with all of our hearts. Acts chapter four, verse 12 says this. Salvation is found in no one else. It's talking about the name of Jesus here. He is the way, the truth, and the life and the only way to the Father. Salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus' name. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius, not a president, not nobody else's name can give you and offer you salvation. Only Jesus can make you right with God the Father. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No other name. And people will say we're discriminatory by saying there's only one way to the Father. Some people will say, oh, there should be a hundred ways to the Father, right? How come there's only one way? And there's only one name under heaven by which all people must be saved. And my response to that is this. Why did God even make a way for us to be saved in the first place when we didn't deserve it? We don't deserve even one way to the Father. And he's given us more than sufficient ways to the Father through one name, one person. It's all sufficient. It's all we need. Praise God that he provided a way in the first place. Only God's name, namely Christ, only his name saves us. So, in light of that, what's the third commandment? <laughs> the third commandment is this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why? Other than the reasons we just talked about. 
for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is a serious endeavor, beloved. He will not hold this world guiltless for stepping on his name like a soda can. And people do it on TV all day long. They do it in your schools all day long. Nothing comes to their mind when they think about God because they're functionally rocks, spiritually speaking. Their hearts are made of stone, the Bible says. But not so for us as Christians. We love God. Beautiful things about him come to our mind when we think of him, right? But the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain and does not repent, okay? So, now, what does it mean to actually take the Lord's name in vain? Maybe we're not all on the same page here. What does it functionally mean? What does it look like on a day-to-day basis to take the Lord's name in vain? Let's get on the same page right now. By looking at the word vain in general. <laughs> what does the word vain even mean? It's not a word that you maybe hear all the time. Another translation of this verse says, he will not hold guiltless those who misuse his name. He said misuse his name as well. But let's look at what vain means. Producing no result or useless. It's futile, useless, pointless, worthless. Is that God's name? No, because it shows his character, right? Is his character worthless? No, it's not. But that's what we do when we take his name in vain. He's worthless, to no purpose, ineffectual, inefficacious, impotent, meaning not powerful. When we take his name in vain, we say, God, you're not powerful. You're not sovereign over my life. You're impotent. That's what we make God out to be. We make him out to be a liar when we take his name in vain. So there are two ways that I think we can take God's name in vain on a day-to-day basis really. Two specific ways that I think that we take God's name in vain. The first one is in our speech, how we talk about God. Like I said, when you talk about God or when you think about God, what comes to your head? In our speech is a way that we can take God's name in vain. And number two, in our conduct, we can take God's name in vain. In our lifestyle, how we live, we can take God's name in vain, okay? So let's look at them. In our speech, how can we take God's name in vain? I thought of a couple vain phrases that we say or you hear on TV on a daily basis that dishonor the weightiness and the might and the glory and the power and the love of God's name. Just threw these up here. A couple vain phrases that dishonor God. Number one, oh my God. Some people throw that around like candy, like it's no big deal. God thinks it's a big deal. For I will not hold guiltless he who takes my name in vain. And I had professors in college that would tell me, that's not what taking God's name in vain means. We're going to talk about that in our conduct here in the second point. But I couldn't think of a way that takes God's name more in vain than just throwing it around like it's any other name. I don't want to know what my professor is thinking about when he makes that phrase, makes that statement. Oh my God, just in passing because he can do it. Because I'm worried that nothing about God is coming into his head when he makes that statement. Oh my God is disrespectful to the name, of course, of God. Jesus Christ, when you stub your toe, Jesus Christ, you know. What you say during times of trial and times of pain says a lot about your heart. Did Jesus even sin on the cross? He did not. In the most trying of circumstances, his true character was revealed in his person. 
And when we kick something or when we stub our toe or hit our head, and the first thing that we respond with is Jesus Christ. What do we think about God in that moment? The answer, we're not. Hold his name above all things, even during times of trial. You say, good Lord. Oh, good Lord. I can't believe I got a C on that test or whatever. That's also taking the Lord's name in vain because his name is Lord as well, <laughs> right? God dang it. Or maybe even saying something more serious beyond that. You guys can think of stuff. I swear to God. How about this one? Taking rash oaths in the name of God and vows in the name of God, and then you don't even go out and fulfill them. Yikes. That's taking God's name in vain. If you're going to make an oath, let your yes be yes and your no be no, Jesus says. Your yes should be as binding as saying, I swear to God. If you give your word, keep your word as if you were swearing to the Lord. That's how binding our word should be. And any other phrase that makes light of God's name, and you think nothing of it, whatever you can insert there, that probably dishonors God. If you can think of it, it's probably not good, right? So those are some vain phrases. Second way that we can dishonor God is in our conduct in our lifestyle, how we live on a day-to-day basis. Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 says this. Anyone who sins defiantly, meaning anyone who lives a lifestyle of unrepentance, you could care less about your sin. Your heart is as hard as stone towards the Lord God Almighty. You want your way, you don't want God's way. Anyone who sins defiantly blasphemes the Lord and must be cut off from the people of Israel, namely the people of God in the Old Testament. If you sin defiantly, you know what? You can even be a Christian tonight and living in unrepentant sin. But if you are doing so, you are living a life of blasphemy against God and against his name. Blasphemy means to speak curses against God or to speak untrue things about God. It's something that you do with your mouth. You commit blasphemy with your mouth. But notice something, beloved. It says anyone who sins defiantly, they might as well be blaspheming. It's talking about all different types of sins there, not even just talking about speaking with your mouth. Meaning, if you are living in an unrepentant lifestyle right now, you are committing blasphemy as if you are cursing God's name intentionally. You're living a lifestyle of blasphemy. And if you're a Christian, and people know that you go to youth group and you go to church, but you're doing whatever you want on Friday nights and on Saturday nights, and living in that unrepentant lifestyle, you're living a life of blasphemy right now. And we must repent What's in a name? If you take God's name and say, I'm a Christian, you take on God's character. If you go out and live for that name and die for that name, you're a hypocrite. And Jesus says, you will approach me on the day of judgment and you will say, didn't I know you, God? Didn't I do good works in your name and cast out demons and prophesy and do all these things? And God will say to that person, away from me, you blasphemer. I never knew you. Let's not live a life of blasphemy, whether in speech or in conduct, because the consequences are serious. As I'd like to briefly read a story from Leviticus chapter 24, talking about the seriousness of blasphemy. Now, God does not relate to his people like this anymore, like he did in the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, but the God of the name is the same. 
God's name is still to be revered and still has consequences, okay? So when you read this story, know that God does not engage with his people in such a manner anymore, but he still holds his name above all things, okay? So let's read the story together. Leviticus 24. Now the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father went out among the Israelites, and a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. He's got an Israelite mom, Egyptian dad, unbelieving father, believing mother. Split household. Maybe some of you guys come from those. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse. Cursed God's name. Maybe he got punched in the face and he said, oh my God. He blasphemed God at the end of the day. That's what happened here. So they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was that, the daughter of Dibri the Danite. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. What should we do with this guy? This guy just cursed God's name defiantly. Doesn't seem to be too repentant about it or anything. What should we do, Moses? They throw him into custody, see what the Lord wants to, done, to, uh, to have done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head and the entire assembly is to stone him. The entire assembly was guilty for the sin of this man and therefore they all had to lay their hands on his head and say, God, we are guilty. Sin is serious and it spreads from person to person if we are not careful. If your friends say, oh my God, or good Lord, or whatever in this youth group, your job is to say, no, we don't do that as Christians. Nothing does not come to our mind when we think of God. We think of great and grand and glorious things when we think of God. We don't do that here. That's what's happening in this story. They're putting their hands on this man's hand. They say, we don't endorse this type of licentious activity. Therefore, we must stone him for blasphemy. Verse 14, the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Does that sound familiar? It's in the third commandment in Exodus. God will not hold people guiltless who step on his name. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death in the old covenant. Still serious sin today, even more serious back then. The entire assembly must stone them, whether foreigner or native born, no exceptions here. When they blaspheme the name, they're to be put to death. Same God, same name, we must have the same reverence. The same reverence towards God's name, beloved. <laughs> when I was in La Crosse, Wisconsin, I came up to a really, really big church in town, and I was with one of my buddies. This was before I was even a Christian. And outside this church, there was the biggest handrail that I've probably ever seen in my life. This is not it. But it was one of the longest, most beautiful, silver, it might have been pure silver, handrails outside this beautiful mega church. And I turned to my buddy, and I remarked to him, I said, that handrail right there would be awesome to grind a skateboard on, on that handrail. That'd be epic, man. I don't even skateboard because I'm too soft to skateboard, but that'd be cool if somebody did that. I'm outside a church. And my buddy says to me, he says, I think that might be blasphemy. Is he right? He is right. What's in a name? What's in a name? Everything's in a name. 
You're outside of God's church, you're outside of God's place, something that is holy and set apart for him, and you want to grind a skateboard down it. Because your lifestyle and your conduct could be blasphemous as well. And that's what I would have committed if I would have had some guts and grinded my skateboard down that railing at the time, but I didn't. I hope nobody has since. Because, beloved, this word, vain, we've talked about what it means in the English, right? But in the original Hebrew that this word was written in, that word vain literally means empty. It means to empty something of its worth, of its magnitude, to make it into nothing, right? To empty God's name of its power and of its value. You just empty it and pour it out like it's no big deal, right? So you've got this wonderful water bottle to close with an illustration here, as if this was God's name or God's character. I can't boil it down to a water bottle. But it's meant to satisfy you. It's meant to sustain you. It's worth more than $2.50 at whatever gas station I got this at. But this is God's name. And instead of revering it and serving the God of the name, what you do is you empty it out as if it's just nothing and say, you're not powerful. You're nothing to me, God. And I would say we don't even just empty God's name whenever we take it in vain, whether in speech or in conduct. Rather than just emptying God's name of its worth, I think that we kick God's name. Make him and his character out to be absolutely nothing. But do you remember what Jesus said about God's name in the New Testament? He said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Glorious is your name, God. That's our job, to go out and glorify God's name, whether it be in speech or in conduct or whatever we do in life. Our job is to glorify God's name. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this group. May we hallow your name over all things. It's your character. It's who you are. Everything is in a name. May we revere you. May we love you. May we cling to you. May you bless this next worship song as we sing together, God, about the glorious nature of your name and of your character. We love you, Father. It's your son's precious name that we pray. Amen. God's name is holy, God's name is worthy, and so let's treat it like that it is. Let's go about each and every single day and every single conversation and every single action like we actually believe that God is holy and that he is worthy, that he has the name that is above every name. 
And so just one of the things that was so present in my mind throughout that entire message is this, I'm a fallible human being that I mess up. I'm grateful today that I serve a God who sees that and yet he extends grace. I can promise you this, that as I sing this song, it's not gonna be perfect. I might play wrong chords, I might stutter over the words, but that doesn't matter because God desires his people to worship as imperfect as an offering as it might be. He desires his people to worship. But I love what Chris said earlier, that as we sing, God smiles down on us. And so I just wanna encourage you to pick up on this song and pick up on that lyric and let's sing it together. So go ahead and put that first slide up, Caden.
God, help us to live every day like we believe that, that our words reflect that. God, we pray that you would stir deeper affections in us for you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've placed on us. In Jesus' name, amen.